0: Well, you may have noticed that I am not wearing a suit this morning, nor am I wearing a religious robe or a clerical collar, not because I think there's anything inherently sinful about wearing those. I just don't think there's anything inherently necessary or beneficial with them either. And depending on the context, it can be more or less helpful, I guess. Context really does have a lot to do with why we choose to wear what we do. Um... But it's not just context, it's also function. That is what we're doing. It's, it's, it's very practical and pragmatic often how we dress. Um, when I go swimming, I, I don't put on overalls and a sweater and boots. I don't wear that anyway. But I, I don't wear that when I go swimming, especially because it would be uh, disadvantageous, right? It might drown me because it's not useful. Which Sometimes our thoughts are utilitarian. What's the most useful clothing for this um, event or this activity. It's functional. But it's not always functional either. Sometimes we choose what is symbolic over what is practical. I have officiated weddings and funerals outside when it's been blisteringly hot or dreadfully cold, and yet I still wear a suit even though I want to wear a, an overcoat or t-shirts and shorts because I'm trying to symbolize, communicate respect to the family, either in mourning or celebrating something formal. Um, and, and we, we do this in other um, settings as well depending on the context and the function but also what we want to communicate we choose our clothing because we want to communicate, we always communicate something with our clothing and uh, it, this may surprise you but um, I am not up on the latest fashion trends um, I don't read the magazines or go to the runway shows, I don't watch the television shows about uh, fashion um, but I do know that fashion, like most things, is often and mainly about money. If you can not just follow a trend, but if you are in the fashion industry and you can set a trend, then people will buy the new clothing. They'll do the new thing, you get more popularity, more money. And yet, one of the ways they trick people into getting the, their money is not just, hey, you need new clothing, but you need to express yourself, you need to express your individualism, your unique personhood by your clothing. Because clothing communicates. They're right. So if you want to communicate who you are, like how many shows, how many movies, how many books, how many songs, how many commercials are telling you that you'll be happiest when you can present yourself and all your uniqueness and how you view yourself to the world and they see you, know you, and love you for who you are. And maybe even more than that, there's a subtle message that the world will be a better place if you can present yourself to the world and all your individual uniqueness... Because when the world will see you, well, they'll just be better. I Hopefully, you can tell in my tone that I think that's, at best, foolish. But it is true, and it's somewhere, somehow inevitable that we always communicate something about ourselves in our clothing. But the opposite, the enemy of expressive individualism in our dress is uniforms. Like, if you're wearing a uniform, you can't express who you are uniquely, right? But uniforms still communicate something. When you were wearing a uniform, it still communicates a lot. There's symbolism in it. And I think the two most important things that uniforms communicate are, one, calling, and two, representation. Uniforms express and communicate calling. If you think of a firefighter and what they wear, you think of a police officer and the uniform they wear, or a student and and a, a uniform school, what they wear. It communicates to them and to everyone else their calling. They are called to either rescue people and put out fires, or to protect and serve, or to study and learn. The the, the uniform communicates what they're called to be and do. But uniforms also communicate representation. Because it's literally about unity, uniformity. That we will be unified in the outward form of our dress, what we wear. So the uniform communicates the solidarity between other people and therefore you don't represent just yourself but other people who are wearing that and often even beyond that. Think of a, a, a military soldier, an, an army man wearing a uniform. He's communicating that he represents not just himself but his squad, his battalion, his brigade, his, his division, his corps, his, his entire branch of the military and beyond that they really represent the, entire, the entirety of our United States. Or think of a judge who sits holding the gavel up on high on that desk and they have a long black robe. That uniform represents not just themselves, not even just the courtroom or their jurisdiction in their county, but that represents the law itself. Something greater than them. All of our clothing always communicates something. It's always symbolizing something. And uniforms in particular communicate both calling and representation. And... From our text today, in Exodus 28 primarily, you will see that we're talking about the priest and their clothing. They had a uniform. It's the the holy garments of the priest. Look with me at Exodus chapter 28, verse 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. These are holy garments for holy representation. I get the holy garments. It says it right there, but why holy representation? Look at verse 4. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons in order to serve me as priests. I'm using this, this term, holy representation, because I think that's what priests are, and that's what they're called to do, to be holy representatives. These are holy garments for holy representatives. And the message, I believe, uh, uh, of this whole section is that we need Christ to be our holy representative. And we are called to be holy representatives for Christ. That's the message of this passage, I believe. That we need Christ to represent us and to be holy in that and we are called to then represent Him and holiness as well. Priests were called to represent both God and Israel here in Exodus 28. They would represent God to the people as they communicated on God's behalf what God wanted and who God was. They would represent Israel on behalf of them to God as the priests go to God as their representative. This is what priests did. 1 Chronicles 23, verse 13, speaking of the offspring of Levi, it says, The sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses. Aaron, who was the high priest. Aaron was set apart that as he was made holy, he was separated to dedicate the most holy things, that he and his sons forever should make offerings before the Lord and minister to him and pronounce blessings in his name forever. You notice what's happening here in First Chronicles 23 is that Aaron and his sons, they are to represent the people because they take the offerings of the people and they offer them before the Lord. So they're representing the people to God. But they're also to minister to Yahweh and pronounce blessings in His name to represent Him to the people as they communicate these blessings to them. We're going to take the last of these first. They were first to represent God to Israel. The priest it says in Exodus 28, were to serve God. Look at verse 1. Exodus 28, 1. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. They were to serve God as priests. Verse 3, they were to consecrate him for my priesthood. My priesthood, God says. Verse 4, they were to serve me as priests. Verse 41, they are to serve me as priests. Well, how did they serve God as priests? They did his bidding. They represented him as he, the priest, served the people. They served God by representing God to the people. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11 God says of the priest, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So it's God's rules, His statutes, that He speaks, but then the, 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 the priests were to then teach them to the people on behalf of God. Malachi 2.7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from His mouth, for, here's why, He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He's the messenger on behalf of representing God to the people. This is what God wants. This is who God is. This is what God says. That's what the priests were called to do, to represent God to the people. But speaking for God is, though important, is only one way they were called to represent God to the people. They were also to represent God not only by what they said, but also by who they were and how they lived. It was the content of their speech, but also the quality of their character and how they were to represent the Lord. They were to be like Him, so as to represent Him to the people. Well, what is God like? He is holy, holy, holy. And if one is to represent the Holy One accurately, then they themselves must be holy, as He is holy. Seven times in Exodus 28, the word holy is mentioned. Speaking of the holy place, the holy things, the holy gifts offered, the holy garments, they were to be holy to the Lord. Look with me at Exodus 28, verses 31-35. through So this clothing they had was a, a white tunic next to the body. And over that they had this, this blue robe, and then they had the vest of the ephod, and then they had the breast piece over that. But here in verse 31, they're speaking of the blue ephod. And at the bottom of it, there was uh, uh, these, these purple, blue, and scarlet yarned pomegranates, and then golden bells. And they would alternate. the bottom of that, you see the hem. There was a pomegranate and then a bell. A pomegranate and a bell alternating all around the hem of this robe. And it would jingle. It would jangle. It would make noise as they walked in and out of the holy place. This is somewhat of a uh, a mystery for the symbolism here, but I think that in part, <clears throat> at least, it, it it should make us think of this. When you go to someone's house, when you go to a business even sometimes, when you go to somebody important, you don't just barge in like you own the place. You knock or you ring the bell. You, you wait for permission to come in, and here you alert them saying, hey, I... I, this is me. Can I enter in? There is a sense in which this is possibly giving this reminder, not to God so much that He needed to be alerted that the high priest was coming in, but they need to be reminded that I need to come in with sobriety, with with a seriousness about it, with reverence before the holy God. We see the seriousness at the end of this in verse thirty-five. And it shall be on Aaron, this robe with the bells and the pomegranates on the end. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, so that he does not die. It was that serious. And and, and unless you think he's, um, he's speaking in hyperbole here, just exaggerating. We have this kind of event, the seriousness of what God requires in His holy presence with Nadab and Abihu. Verse 1, Aaron's sons, the first two are Nadab and Abihu. They were to be the first priest under the high priest in all of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 10, they offer some fire before the Lord. It's unauthorized. God had not prescribed it. They were worshiping Yahweh, but in a way that He had not commanded them to. And so in verse 3, we see what happens is that God comes out, fire before them, and he consumes them, and they die. And Aaron, in his confusion and his grief, Moses comes to him and says, this is what the Lord says, Aaron, about what just happened. In Leviticus 10.3, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron, what's he say? Nothing. He holds his peace because he knows To whom it is he would be responding, and that God indeed is holy. The Lord requires something. He is holy, therefore he requires holiness. The Lord is holy, and he requires holy priests, holy representatives. But the priests were not only to represent God to Israel, they were also to represent Israel to God, to go to God on their behalf. The priests were called to serve God by representing him, but they're also called to represent Israel by, by, uh, serve Israel by representing them. You see in Exodus 28, verse 12, speaking of this ephod, this vest, it would go out <clears throat> over the, the robe. In verse 12, it says, And you shall take, set the two stones. On the shoulder of the ephod, there was a stone in on each one, an onyx stone. And in each stone, there was engraved deeply, permanently, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six on each stone, on the shoulder. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder of pieces of the ephod, as as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord, like on their behalf, to represent them before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. We see the same thing in verse 29 with the the breast piece. It's a square piece that had the twelve stones, these twelve precious gems, four rows of three, and each of the stones had a name of one of the tribes of Israel written on it. In verse 29 it says so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment in on his heart because it's on his chest. It's the breastpiece over his heart and when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. It's as if he being the representative does not present himself to the world and himself to God this is me and all my unique individualism. Instead he's representing the people. It's like his name doesn't matter, their names matter because he's a representative. He comes on their behalf to represent the people before the Lord, to remind God of them. But isn't that weird? Stones of remembrance before the Lord, like God need to be reminded. Hey, don't forget you got this people Israel down here. Oh, thanks. I forgot about those guys. But this is what we do in prayer. We're informing God, we're reminding God of what He already knows and what He cannot forget. Going before the Lord saying, These are your people. You have made a covenant with them and I'm just reminding you of your covenant promises. I'm coming on their behalf. Would you bless them? You have said that you will save them and sustain them, speak to them and settle among them for their everlasting good. God, would you please continue to do what you have so promised to do in your covenant? He's coming to God on their behalf. But not just in prayer, but also in presenting offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. Look at verse 38. Exodus 28, verse 38. It shall be, that's the pure plate of gold, like a crown underneath the turban on his forehead. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. It was this important. How he, I think the point here is how, he ministered to the people, was reminding them that I'm representing God here and telling you that you have to have holy offerings. But he also represented the people to God. And it was on his shoulders. He would bear the guilt if he brought God on behalf of the people anything that was unacceptable. If they were to be accepted, then he had to demand and make sure that the offering itself was acceptable. He would bear the guilt for the holy things if they were not brought in the right way or they didn't bring the right thing he would bear that guilt. And he would also be the one who would make them accepted as their representative when he is holy before the Lord. This is what the priest does, the high priest. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of, that is to represent men in relation to God. To do what? To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. But if he should do this, to be in the presence of the holy God in the holy place... Even the most holy place, the high priest himself must be holy. He must be a holy representative. So look at verse 36. Exodus 28, verse 36. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. It was deeply, permanently engraved on this this golden, pure gold plate. It was like a crown around his head underneath the turban. It said, holy to the Lord. Now in ancient... Um, religions, especially in the Middle East, they would often have, before they would go into a temple or a shrine before their deity, they would offer some incantation, some verbal ritual formula. God doesn't give them any of that. He doesn't say, this is what you must say to appease me or to be okay in my presence. What in did, in, instead, what he says is, the words you are to have are not spoken, but written. Not written by you, they're written for you, to remember that you are to be holy to the Lord. That everything you do and everything you are is to be holy, set apart for God. This is your calling. The clothing here communicates their calling. They were to be holy representatives to God and for God. But why? Why do we have to have holy representatives? Why couldn't the people just go to God on their own? Why do they need to have a representative here? Why did Moses write down in chapter 28, 43 verses and another 31 verses in 39? Why do we have literally dozens, but perhaps hundreds of chapters throughout the Old Testament talking about holy representatives? That's what the priests do. Why? Why? Because both our need and our calling is holy representation. That's what we need. And that's what we're called to do. We need Christ to be our holy representative, and we are called to be holy representatives for Christ. That's both our need and our calling. First, we need Christ to be our holy representative. Because in order to be in the holy presence of God, we must be holy. That's what He deserves. That's what He demands. The problem is we are not holy. Not as He is holy. I don't know if this surprises you or offends you, but we are not holy. Not like God is. We are not holy because we too often are selfish. We would rather sit on the couch and read our book or watch our show instead of getting up and serving our family again. We would rather follow our agenda than submit to someone else's and do what they want, especially when they might not be as grateful as we think they should be. We are not holy because we too often are so quick to judge other people. Not just their actions, but their motives. And we deem that our sins are not as bad as their sins because we don't struggle with that. We don't do that. We are not holy because we often fail to discipline ourselves, to get up early and to say, God, I want to seek you in your word because I'm desperate for you. We are not holy because we fail to get on our knees and to cry out to God to change us and to bless others. We are not holy because we lack gentleness in how we love others, even our own family members. We are so quick to criticize and so slow to encourage. We are not holy, and these are just my sins from this past week. We are not holy. We need a holy representative to go before God in our place. You know, in just about any and every religion, there are priests And they are needed to reconcile the sinner who has offended their God. And this is true here. But even the best of the priests, even the greatest of the high priests, they themselves were sinners. They needed a holy representative to stand in their place. Look at Exodus 28, verses 42 and 43. Exodus 28.42 You shall make for them the linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs. And they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him but not just for him and for his offspring after him because all of the priests have all been sinners. And they needed their nakedness covered. What did Adam and Eve do right after they sinned in the garden? They hid, right? They ran and hid, and they covered themselves with fig leaves, saying, we are naked and ashamed. They went from being naked and unashamed to being naked and ashamed. What, what happened? They sinned, and they didn't just see their nakedness. What was exposed was their sinfulness. And so God, in His grace, He covers them. Genesis 3.21, He clothed them with the skins of an animal, who had to die in their place, who had done nothing wrong. An innocent substitute covered them. Praise the Lord, the highest of the high priests, the greatest high priest, Jesus himself is our clothing. He covers us. He has purchased and forever secured reconciliation with sinners to God. Jesus is the only one who can take us to God. Jesus is the only one who can be Savior. We are accepted only in Him, and Jesus alone perfectly represents God to us, and us to God. He's the only satisfactory representative. Because only Jesus could perfectly be and do what the priestly garments symbolized. Holy representation. Only Jesus could do it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, please. Hebrews 9. Starting at verse 24. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, That's not the the temple or the tabernacle, not those holy places, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. When Jesus died on the cross, He was then taken off the cross and buried in a tomb, and then He rose from the tomb, and then 40 days later, where did He go? He ascended into heaven, heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf as our representative. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How could he be so qualified to do such a thing? Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7.26 For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. And what kind of high priest do we have? He is holy. He is innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need. I love that. He has no need, like those other priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, for he has none, And then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself Jesus did not need these holy priestly garments because He is holiness itself. As one preacher has said, Jesus was the first man to ever enter into the perfect light of heaven in the right of His own holiness. Other men before Jesus had gone to heaven, but not based on their own holiness, on the righteousness of another. Jesus was the first man to enter into heaven like He belonged. In his own holiness, he had never, uh, heaven had never before received such a man. On that ascension day, there came into heaven a man who asked for no mercy. Because he didn't need it. He didn't need grace. He didn't need forgiveness. He didn't need mercy. He came in his own holiness, pure, spotless, victorious. He came into the light of heaven and he caused no shadow there. Indeed, we do have a great high priest. Because he is holy. Like the Father is holy. And He is our holy representative. And yet, we not only need Christ to be our holy representative, we are also called to be holy representatives for Christ. Because in order to represent God to our, our fellow church members, in order to represent God to this world around us, we must be holy as He is holy. Otherwise, we're not representing Him accurately. But again, the problem remains, we are not holy like He is. Just like the priests whose position and, and, and privilege and task and calling were all far above their character and their worthiness, so too are ours. We are called to be priests, to be holy representatives, and yet, that is too far above us. Yet thanks be to God, by His grace, He is in the business of qualifying the called. As Paul prays in Second Thessalonians 1.11, God, would you make them worthy of their calling? Make them worthy of their calling. God is the one who sanctifies His saints. He purifies His priests. He makes holy His representatives. And so with Jesus as our high priest, we are called to be priests of God. You know, we are not of the same mind of the Roman Catholics who have priests. I'm a pastor. I don't call myself a priest. Because we don't have that same kind of priesthood. I don't call myself a priest, not because I'm not one, but because we are all one. There is no distinction between the believers. We are all priests of God. We are all called to be holy representatives of Him. We are priests, but not like Jesus was, not in the same way, because we don't offer ourselves as a sacrifice, as a substitute, in the place of of other sinners, that other sinners would be made acceptable to God. We couldn't do that, and we don't need to do that. Jesus did it once for all time. Our priesthood is like a vice-priesthood underneath the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, in which we're called to be holy representatives of Him. I don't know if you noticed this in Exodus 28, but the bulk of that chapter is not about actually the priestly garments. It's about the high priestly garments. Most of it, from verse 2, says, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother. He's the high priest for glory and for beauty. But look at verse 40. Here are the clothing for the priest. For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make, for them, you, you shall make them for glory and for beauty. So we're not the high priest, but we are called to be priests of God. We can't be a holy representative like Jesus in all perfection, but we are called to be priests who are holy representatives. We are to point to Jesus in all of our ways, for all of our days, in every area of life. We are to represent Jesus. And such representation requires holiness. And such holy representation for sinners like us requires regular reminders. And this is where the holy garments come in. God was so gracious to give them tangible and constant reminders in their clothing of what, who they were and what they were called to be and do. Their clothing, you see, pointed to and communicated, symbolized their identity as set-apart ones. They were priests. But even more so, their their clothing communicated their calling, what they were called to be and do. That is, positionally, they were priests. They were set apart. And so practically, that's how they should live. It is no different for us. These holy garments, from the rich colors to the skillful artistry, from the expensive gold and the gems, to the fine details, from the deep symbolism and the... Sobering significance, all of the beauty and all of the glory of these priestly garments were to remind them and us, and to call them and to call us to be holy representatives of God. But today, we have no need to put on special sacred priestly garments. Rather, we are commanded, we are called to put on the Lord Jesus. But that sounds weird because it's a metaphor. We don't literally put on the physical body of Jesus onto our body like they would put on clothing. So what does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus? First it means to embrace him fully by faith. To trust in him. Galatians 3:27, Paul says, "For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ." You have put on Christ like clothing. Several years ago, um, one of our covenant member families had a tornado hit their house, the delays. And there was another family there, the Akins. and I remember talking to Vaughn Aikens about it, and he said that he, he had just enough time to see the tornado, to slam the door, and to run downstairs where all the other family was, and to take a mattress and throw it over them before the tornado hit the house. They, he put on the mattress because he knew that they could not stand before the tornado themselves. In the same way, we cannot stand before God in His holiness and in His justice and in His wrath without a covering, without putting on the Lord Jesus. He alone is able to stand before God. And so we stand clothed in His righteousness. We stand clothed in Jesus. We pray in His name. We sing in His name. We serve In His name, putting on the Lord Jesus by faith. But it's also in a practical sense we're called to put on the Lord Jesus, not only by our faith in Him, but by our faithful representation of Him. Paul says again in Romans 13, 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking to Christians and he says, You now practically put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You're to put to death these sinful desires. Don't feed them. Don't support them. Don't promote them and protect them. Kill them. Put on the Lord Jesus and this is how you do it. Listen, our calling as priests of God, our calling to be holy representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ is not about squashing or suppressing our individual personalities. But it is about calling us to crucify our sinful flesh. It's about calling us to put to death what is ungodly, whats unchristlike un-Christ-like in us, what is unholy in us. But you, you might say, but then who, who will represent me to the world? Who will represent me to God? Jesus did that. And there's nobody better to do it. Are you content? No, are you elated that your identity... Your calling, your purpose in life is to represent another. To represent Jesus. You are called to represent Him to this world in your proclamation. And by promoting and protecting the good of others for the glory of Him. Are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you happy? Is it your joy that you get to be the one who is a representative on behalf of people, to God, to praise God for what He does good in their life and to pray for them to God. To take their needs, their struggles, their problems, their sins to God. That's your calling. That's who you are as Christians. That's your purpose, to be representatives, holy representatives for the glory of God. As God said of Nadab and Abihu, I will be sanctified for those, by those who draw near." And I will be glorified by all my people. That's what we're called to do. To live in holiness and in righteousness. To clothe ourselves with Jesus then. To put on the Lord Jesus then means to be holy like He is. That's always what the priests were to do. The clothing always pointed to that. In Psalm 132 verse 9 it says, Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. These holy garments were always meant to call them to be holy, to be righteous. And we don't get to define what that looks like. We don't get to define what sin is. We don't get to define what holiness is. The God who made us. The God who sustains us and who blesses us and who loves us. The God who commands us and the God who will judge us. He and He alone gets to define what sin and what holiness is. And He's given us this book to show us. And more than that, He's given us His Son to show us. So to put on the Lord Jesus is to be like Him. What was he like? He was obedient to the Father. He obeyed the law of God from his heart. It was his food. It was like his bread and butter and even his dessert to do the will of his Father. He loved it. He delighted to please his Father. And he did it in love. Love for God, but also love for others. Love to the point of sacrificing himself unto death. All for the glory of God. That's what it means to put on the Lord Jesus. To live like that to obey God, to seek to understand His law, and to say, God, I want to obey you in all that your word says, and I want to do it loving you and loving others for your glory. So my friends, seek. Seek with all your heart to know what Jesus is like, to know Him, and then to be like Him. Read of Him. See Him in this book. Maybe even practically, just take one of the Gospels and read through it and say, Show me Jesus that I may know Him and embrace Him by faith and then represent Him in faithfulness. That I can be like Him. You don't need to put on priestly garments. You need to put on the Lord Jesus. That is not to suggest that all external, tangible symbols are somehow sinful always or never practically helpful. It's just that they're limited in their effectiveness and they're no longer commanded. And that their ultimate purpose has been and is to point to Jesus' And he has already come. This is always what it was meant to be. Because inwardly, these priests, these sinful priests, were too sinful to be transformed by merely putting on external clothing. God knew this. God knew this. And indeed, this is his plan all along, that it would take the ultimate high priest, who would come wearing meager clothing, and in his death he would be stripped. Stripped bare. But he didn't need it. Even as he was crucified on a wooden Roman cross, he was still holy. He was holy in himself as he bore the sin for all of his people. And he was crucified, then he was, died and was buried, and he rose to life and he rose to heaven so that he could cover our sins and our sinfulness and our shame. So that he could then transform us from the inside out to be holy representatives before God. And then by his grace that he would reward us. He would he died and rose again and ascended and is now interceding so as to guarantee our everlasting reward as priests. The reward by God's grace, by his spirit. This is our holy representative, a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is only yours. If you embrace him by faith, if you put on the Lord Jesus by faith. So, this morning, in just a moment, when we come to partake of communion today, if you are not embracing Jesus, if you're not putting on the Lord Jesus, counting on him to be your holy representative before God, then this communion meal is not yet for you. I say that not to shame you or offend you, but to warn you. Don't act if it's true, if it's not. I don't care if you've been here, this is your first time, you've been here a hundred times or for 10 years. Don't partake of communion unless you have indeed put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's not you this morning, then bow your head. Get on your knees if you must and cry out to God to open your eyes to the truth that Jesus is all you need. And He is indeed sufficient to be your holy representative. And if you this morning, if you are embracing Jesus, He is your high priest. You put on the Lord Jesus by faith and you've had your faith affirmed by other Christians in baptism in a local church, then in just a moment you can exit to your left and come up to the front to one of these tables and take your communion elements that represents the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ by which He made perfect in His holiness a representation for sinners to reconcile us to God. Take Him with faith. Take Him by yourself, or with your family, or with others around you and praise Him for being your representative, your holy priest. But also, ask Him. Ask Him to be gracious to you, to continue to work in you, to qualify you, to make you worthy of the calling, to make you better and more holy representatives of Him. I'm going to pray, and then just a moment, for those who should come, you can come exit to your left and come up to the front. And the gluten-free are over here on your left. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you that you are innocent and holy, unstained and separated from sinners and you are exalted above the heavens. It seems as if we could never be qualified and you are overqualified. You are our high priest. Help us to embrace you, to put on you by faith. Help us to put on you by faithfulness, by representing you well. Help us to see that that is our calling. May may that be our joy. In all things, May we always, always, always embrace you as our high priest. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.